Listen to this reading from Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 21. So now, O Lord, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth that with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, him alone you shall worship. To you you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything you do to others, as you would have them do to you, this is the law and the prophets. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on uh, text, that is familiar to us as we've read the Gospels and we've heard Jesus's lavish promise and invitation that we should ask of you things, we pray that this morning you would bring these words to our hearts and our lives in a way that we might understand them and know how we could inhabit these words and actually be the people that boldly ask for your kingdom to come. Meet us, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we reflect on this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was another hard week, right, in our country in which in the news we're foregrounded again and again this violent way that human beings have with living with one another. And this week it was in the horrific shootings in Atlanta that left eight people dead, seven of whom were women and six of them of Asian descent. And so it's hard not to draw these sort of lines out into the conflict that exists as it relates to racism. It's not simply that individuals do bad things, but we do horrific things and we participate in this way institutionally even and culturally. Esau Macaulay is an Anglican priest. You've read quotes by him before. We've spoken of him. He's a black theologian 
at Wheaton, and he commented this week in the aftermath of the Atlanta shootings, he said that while the particular problems and struggles of the black and Asian communities are different, both communities fight in different ways for dignity, respect, and the freedom to flourish despite the strictures society wants to place on us. From a Christian perspective, both forms of racism are rooted in a false understanding of what a person is and who determines their value. One of the things we've seen as we've been thinking through and reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his most sermon sections of extended teaching in which he's bringing us into an understanding of what is the kingdom that God has promised? What is the kingdom that he longs to give us, that he says is coming into this world in him, that is near us because of him? Last week we saw that this world that God is bringing is one in which human beings put off a certain way of rela- relating to one another. Right? We, instead of relating to each other with judgmentalism or uh, in constant critique and comparison and com- uh, in condemnation, that we put that away, Jesus urges us to, to do. And so we begin to imagine this not just as individuals as I struggle with judgmentalism, but as we culturally struggle with judgmentalism and the way these facts, these, uh, if you want to use Esau Macaulay's language, these false understandings of personhood and someone's value, the way these false ways of understanding someone's value is sort of rooted in and institutionalized in all of our societal structures. Jesus invites us to imagine a world that frankly, after this week, just keeps feeling unimaginable to most of us. The brokenness is so prevalent. Now this week, Jesus brings us, interestingly, back to this concept of prayer, this idea of prayer, when he urges us to ask, to seek, to knock for the goodness of God's kingdom to come. And the basis of our asking, the basis of our boldness, of our courage, is God's character, it's who he is, how he relates to us and who he reveals himself to be in relationship to us. Jesus here just simply says, look, God delights to do good things. Do you believe that about God? Let's think about the teaching of Jesus here, right? Notice what he says. In the first place, he invites us back into this space of prayer, right? Will you ask and seek and knock? Will you be that kind of person? Will we be that kind of a community? Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. This is an enormous, broad sweeping promise and invitation. So when you hear it, right, what things begin to run through your mind? I know what runs through my mind. I immediately come up with all of the sort of caveats I want to offer so that I give God an out, right? God doesn't have to fail this promise. And so we begin to struggle with the idea that God might even mean to do good. Does God really mean this? Can Jesus really be taken seriously in a promise like this? Pull that beyond the scope of your own individual life and into the events of this past week. Do I believe that God hates racism of every stripe? And do I believe that God hates it in a way that he will ultimately delight to unravel it so that we live very differently with one another as human beings? Do I believe that when I seek and I ask and I knock for the kingdom to come, that God will actually open the door and come? 
This promise about asking and seeking and knocking is certainly connected to Jesus' earlier teaching when he gave us the sermon, or rather the, the Lord's Prayer, right? From which we learn that we begin to ask of God from the space of a relationship with him, that he is our heavenly father, that we collectively live in Jesus in such a way that we have the freedom to ask God for things like daily bread, we have the freedom to ask God for forgiveness in our relationships and the freedom likewise to extend that forgiveness to others. We have the freedom and the sort of the invitation to recognize that the struggle that we're in is greater than our ability to solve it. So we ask that we would be delivered from evil, that we would be ultimately by God's hand moved into the sphere of this kingdom come in which human beings live with lavish love toward one another. Jesus invites us to ask, to seek, to knock, and to do so boldly, and to bring whatever is on your heart and your mind into your conversation with him, to hold nothing back. So if you knew that was true, what would you begin to talk to God about? If you could just sort of say, this is my great burden, this is where I'm struggling, this is what I personally have experienced this week. This is where I was discouraged about what was happening in our world this week. As you bring these things to mind, are you able with liberty to absolutely share what's on your heart with God? Jesus invites us to do so because our burdens are the Father's burdens. God loves us. So what is the burden that you're most aware of today? You know, it might be, as we were talking last week or thinking about that text last week, that there's a log in our eyes somewhere, that there's something about us that we struggle or internal to us that we are struggling with that we may not even see very clearly, but we desperately need to sort of deal with that part of our human story. Maybe it's some period of prolonged loneliness, and many people have felt that throughout this year of COVID lockdowns, and it's more accentuated than it ever was for anyone individually. Maybe it's your health and just the fragility that you're aware of as we've come through this pandemic. And it's not just COVID that we deal with, but all of the other diseases that afflict us. Maybe it's a relationship that's particularly difficult and hard for you. Maybe it is as you think about your own experience of racism, either as a person who's a victim of being treated racistly, right? Or what is the burden that you bring into the time of worship this morning? And what would it be like for you to imagine that God cares deeply about that thing, that area, that place in life in which you least experience the kingdom come. Jesus invites us to talk to God, to pray to God, to boldly bring all these things to him. But then secondly, notice what he says about this relationship out of which we pray, right? We pray with courage and humility because of who God is and because of who he's brought us to a relationship with him in the person of Jesus, right? So Jesus gives us here this remarkable and beautiful illustration, right? You can imagine yourself sort of seated on the hillside, listening to Jesus' teaching, and he comes up to this part and he's urged you to, right, to ask, to seek, and to knock, and then he immediately drops into something that everyone would have seen if, even if they had not personally experienced it, and that is this experience of parenthood. Jesus says, I want you to think about your own life as a parent, as a father, maybe a mother, 
or a caregiver of some type to someone that you love and you're compassionate toward. He says, if you being evil, by which he simply means to identify us as having been, as being persons who are formed and shaped interior to a world in which we've never been perfectly loved. We've not been perfectly parented, right? So if you're caught up, if you're born of or formed in this imperfection of this world that Jesus has come to bring his kingdom to, if you being sinful and evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God? If your child says, I'm hungry and I want some bread to eat, you don't give them a stone. If your child says, I, I, I'd like some, something more substantive fish, protein, right? You don't give your child a snake. And Jesus' sort of intentionality here is to say, even though these things are true with you, if your child asks for bread, you give him bread. If your child asks for fish and it's your capacity to give him fish, you give him fish. How much more your heavenly father? A parent instinctively wants what is best and good for their children. Now, parents and kids don't always agree on what is good for their children, right? You've been in that space, right? As we've sort of come through our own places of childhood, you've hit those snags where you've disagreed with your caregiver, right? You've had a different vision for your childhood life than your mom or your dad may have had. But Jesus' point here is that a parent longs for the flourishing of their kids. It's who we are. It's what we want. And Jesus is really trying to help us to see the God that sees us. Who is he? What is he like? These things came home to me just most profoundly in my own experiences as a father with my kids. Over and over again, I find that they teach me more about who God is than I can read in the books. And here's how it often happens. I've experienced some good moment of parenting that, you know, <laughs> that I've done or that my wife Stacy has done. And in that sort of moment of doing the right thing or doing the loving thing toward my child or our children, what do I begin to think about sometimes is just this. If I will respond to mercy and love to the requests of my kids, why is it so hard for me to imagine God being like that. If my heart is moved to the flourishing of another, why is it so difficult for me to imagine that when God looks on Tuck Bartholomew, that he looks on me with the eyes of love and compassion and mercy, the eyes of one who loves and delights to do good. And here in this illustration, Jesus is inviting us to think differently about God, to know who he is and how he relates to us, the God who sees us, who listens to us, the God who opens the way before us as we ask and seek and knock. Brad Jerzak is a writer, a theologian, a minister. He puts it this way, and the quote is on the front cover of your bulletin or in dear if you'd like to read that later. He says this, he says, the truth is, God is always there. The pure fire of divine love is longing for you, his beloved. Not merely waiting, not merely watching or even following, but in vigorous stalking pursuit. 
This God sold all that he had to buy the field of the world to obtain the pearl of great price, and you are that pearl. Do you believe that? When you think about how God sees you, how he views you, how he interacts with you, do you believe that he says, you are that pearl? I love you. I delight to know you. Jesus reveals us a God who is the one who is asking and seeking and knocking with the deepest love that we can imagine. And if we begin to imagine and if we begin to experience a God who loves us that way as father to child, how would that shape what we talk to him about? How does it build confidence that you could tell him all of the burdens that are on your heart? How does it change the way we live with our moments and experiences of fear and suffering interior to this world? And if we're in a moment of joy, how does it change the way you live with your joy? And if you have some degree of relative power, and we all do, how does it change the way we hold our power as human beings for the sake of others? Jesus reminds us here that Whenever we talk to God, we do so from the same location, the same relationship, and the same freedom that Jesus had with the Father himself. And he is a God who delights to do good. One final thing that Matthew does as he closes this part of the sermon is he brings us back to the golden rule, and it's something we've, many of us have probably heard since our early days of being children. This golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, it's different um, and yet related to last week's teaching, right? Where Jesus urges us to put off, to not judge lest we be judged. Here he encourages us to put on a different way of being human, a different way of practicing humanity that is caught up in the law of love caught up in the law of, by which God has loved us and now that we extend to others loving them as well. This is the love that we're called to put on, and the power for this putting on is that in Jesus Christ, you and I begin to see and experience a God who only ever relates to us in love, only ever relates to us in love. God is loving, and he desires that we would love as we have been loved, but he never ever calls us to a love that he doesn't first give us in our own relationship with him so that we're ready to respond in goodness and love to our neighbors, what? Asking, seeking, and knocking. The horrific shootings this past week in Atlanta remind us and speak boldly to the fact that our world and our society is not marked by the golden rule. It's marked by the opposite. We don't live in a world in which love abounds. We don't live in a world in which love abounds from all corners and aspects of the world. We don't live in a world in which every human agent expresses love toward neighbor. We live in a world of violence and that is still deeply marked by hate. So let me come back to something you saw Macaulay says in the article that I mentioned at the beginning of our our service. He writes, Our co-belligerence with those that suffer racism is rooted in the idea that God did not create a limited supply of justice such that I need to hoard it only for the benefit of my community. 
God's justice exists in abundance and is available for all. So we can stand in solidarity. Asian lives matter. Friends, we have come this morning into a time of worship to worship the God of abundance. The God of abundance who says, I choose to relate to you as father to child. I long for your good. I long to give you this kingdom. So as we reflect on our circumstances, those places where we feel profound sorrow and those places where we feel hope or joy or confidence in all of these things, know that God invites us to be persons in a community that asks, that seeks, that knocks, and pleads for the good of the kingdom to come, but we do so as a child to a father who loves us, not to a father that we have to persuade or get their attention to or beg to listen or beg to agree with us, but a father who already wants our good far more than we want it ourselves. And so Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, because your father knows how to give good gifts to those that ask. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.